welcome to episode number 42 of the Road to Cinema podcast, featuring producers J.L. Pomeroy and Tom Broker of the new documentary Live from New York, telling the story of how Saturday Night Live has reflected and influenced life in the United States for the past 40 years, and exploring how much of the laughter has gone through American politics, tragedy, and popular culture. The film also features interviews with such Saturday Night alumni as Will Ferrell, Tina Fey, Jimmy Fallon, Chevy Chase, Dana Carvey, Candace Bergen, Alec Baldwin, as well as Saturday Night Live executive producer Lorne Michaels. Producers J.L. Pomeroy and Tom Broker go into their development and production process for making this incredible new documentary, as well as Tom Broker's role as a costume designer on Saturday Night Live for the past 30 years. For more information on the Road to Cinema podcast, to read the Road to Cinema blog, and to watch our Road to Cinema YouTube series, please visit jogroadproductions.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at jogroad and jogroadproductions. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash jogroad. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. And you can also write us a nice review on the iTunes podcast store under the Road to Cinema podcast. By following us on all of those forms of social media, You'll be entered into a contest to win a free download of the Final Draft screenwriting software brought to you by Road to Cinema and our friends at Final Draft. And now we join producers J.L. Pomeroy and Tom Broker as they discuss how they narrowed down their focus to create the new documentary about Saturday Night Live, Live from New York, which opens in theaters in California, Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, and Washington, D.C. on June 12th. And to learn more information, you can visit their website, livefromnewyorkmovie.com. We had to have a focus going in. I mean, if you can think about 40 years of archival footage, and then we shot about 130 hours of new footage, it became pretty important that we have a very, very focus, strong focus to fit that into 82 minutes for a documentary. Um, but really, the idea came about um, Tom and I just having a, a lunch one day, having a conversation about it. Um, uh, Tom and I are friends and had worked together on uh, documentary projects in the past and um, we're thinking about finding a way to do something about Saturday Night Live to time it to the 40th anniversary and uh, and Tom has worked on the show for 20 years as a costume designer so he has obviously a very inside perspective we didn't want to make the film from an insider perspective we just wanted to use that as, as an access point he said you know what could be what could be something different than all these retrospectives that have been done where it's been decade by decade and thorough coverage the Tom Shales book you know there's yeah. it's a very documented show and we felt that we should find a new direction and a new way to approach it and um, Tom said god I would really like to see it from more of an anthropological standpoint you know something talking about its impact in our in our history and by the time we talked through it I think it was like by the end of yeah. that lunch we're like oh my gosh what if no, we look at like it was amazing yeah. actually because at the end of the lunch <laughs> What you have to know is about that all you have to do is mention something to JL and it's like if she likes it, it's like within 10 minutes, it's done. So by the end of that lunch, we we stood up and basically was like, let's go talk to this person. Let's go talk to this person. We can get this here. We can get this here. And like, you know, by the within an hour after lunch, we probably had 10 people already on board who were interested in the project. And we're like, yes, you've got to do this. Yeah. <laughs> had you approached uh, Lauren Michaels at that point? No, we hadn't. Uh, no, no. no. By the time lunch was over, we're like, Lauren doesn't know this yet, but we're going to be doing a documentary. No, that was the next step, obviously, was yeah. right after we decided what we how we wanted to approach the, the subject matter. 
um, we went to Lauren and, um, and had meeting just the three of us, Tom and I sitting on the couch in Lauren's office and, um, we proposed it to him and he really liked the idea and he literally only gave us one piece of advice. He's like, you know, just don't make it a behind the scenes documentary. It's not as interesting as people think. Yeah. And, um, and he's like, you should, uh, yeah, you should probably run this by Bob, but I think you should do it. And he walked out and I was like, Bob Greenbot, the chairman of NBC. And, and Tom's like, yeah, that's yeah, what he means. That's fun. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. so yeah, so then we did just that and, um, got the blessing and, and yeah. we're off to the races. So from that point on, uh, since you knew sort of what you wanted to do, yeah. we'll have the documentary focus on, did you start focusing on different people you wanted to speak to and maybe even make like an outline of what clips you wanted to use? And Not yet. That was, that piece? was a, that was a little bit of the cart for the horse type situation at that moment. Yeah. Right when we decided and we got the green light and we said, okay, we're going to do this thing. We, uh, we really just determined that the only way it was going to happen, this is very much insider vernacular of all things Saturday Night Live, by the way, the only way it was going to happen is if we just started shooting. Like we literally needed to show up on right. set and just start shooting. Like let just everybody bring your know. Own camera equipment. Yeah. Well, hi, everybody. we're here. Yeah, and, and, that's, and that's really what that's we did. Exactly. I was sort of like and put up a few signs. And yeah. Make sure, <laughs> sure the cast sort of knew what was going on. And how they, many memos were out? And were like sort of like what what's happening? Why? What's going on? And mm -hmm. and we had the most amazing crew because yeah, we they all were like ninjas and they they all disappeared. Disappeared. Yeah. We hardly even knew they were ever around. And that right. was sort of but we also we really needed them. Thanks to, to Tom way. though and the guidance. And honestly, I think we were both very just um, politically sensitive to the environment. It's a very encapsulated, very closed environment, as you would imagine, right? Saturday Night Live does not you know, uh, suffer outsiders yeah. kindly they do not like and, outsiders. uh, they don't very, like strange faces wary. in the hallway. Cause it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a vulnerable process what yeah. they're doing. So the whole first week we were on set, we had two directives, which I think served us quite well for the entire year. Honestly, first directive was what I called Noah's Ark. We could only be two at a time on the floor. Never more than two of us filmmakers at any given time. Not like this big troop of accountants right. coming in. Like who are these people? <laughs> right. So it was just two of us. So we weren't too overwhelming to so the it space. Just be a camera person, a sound person. No, no, no. We didn't do we didn't any of that. There's so the no first, sound. I was just about to get to part two, which awesome. is we literally did not touch one single camera for the whole first week we were on set. Oh. We only went around and introduced ourselves and asked questions right. and quietly observed and got the lay of the land. By the end of the first week, the crew was coming to us saying, when are you guys going to start shooting? And we're like, perfect. Yeah. That's what we wanted. We didn't want to just put a camera in their face and freak them out, you know, because it's yeah. not a normal so process. Build trust. Exactly. So those, serve, those two things served us really well. And then. Um, to Tom's point, our director, Bao Nguyen, who's a really gifted guy, and he has just got this quiet sensibility and this very sort of silent strength about him, and he shot all the footage himself on set, just him and a red camera and no crew. So there was no lighting, no sound. It was a lav. And it was just like, I'm going to shoot this quietly and disappear. And we're making the film. And half the time I was like, anyone seen Bao? Do you know where Bao is? He's like, oh, I, I, the last I saw him, he was up in the rafters. Like, you just never saw him. And that's what we were going well, for. And even half the cast, you know, yeah. had no idea that he even was around ever. Mm -hmm. Or I think there's only, I only remember one time when someone was like, was there someone with a camera in my quick change? <laughs> you know, I, I opened my quick change. You know I was naked a minute ago. Um, but, but that was only yeah. one time. In the course of the yeah. you know eight and a half weeks that they were shooting, shooting during the show, yeah. that anyone kind of went, oh no, I was like, no, no, no it's yeah. good, it's a, we have we have permission. I mean, if if Bao ever changes his career so. path, he could be he could leave being a director and be an amazing stalker because yeah. like yeah. nobody knew spy. he was there. Yeah, yeah. or a spy. I was going to yeah. say spy, but yeah, yeah, that's probably a little more politically correct. But I think stalker is funnier. But yeah, you're right, a spy. He'd be an amazing spy. Uh, so I'm curious when shooting the interviews because you had so many, yeah. you know, well-regarded talents yeah. from the show over the past forty mm -hmm. years. 
Uh, what was kind of your approach doing the interviews? Did you have like a very clear amount of questions that you oh, wanted yeah. to ask yeah, each yeah. one, very specific to each mm-hmm. performer? Oh, 100%. Exactly. Yeah, we we um, we probably spent two weeks or so as a, as a collective filmmaking team with those questions before each of the interviews. Um, one of our producers, Owen Mugen, really talented guy who did a lot of um, research and, and um, wrote the lion's share of the questions that, that started the outline for each of those interviews. Um, he would bring the questions to us and then we would work collectively to sort of fine tune and, and uh, adapt them. But it was a, a huge part of the process of making this film was, was really crafting the narrative for each of those interviews, very specifically to each of the cast members and, and um, you know, notable icons that we interviewed. Yeah. Did you ever uh, modify questions for somebody in the future who you were interviewing based on somebody you were interviewing? 100% yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I think as you well know in this role that you do here, filmmaking is probably one of the most dynamic um, creative paths that one can take. So a lot of the things that we thought we set out to do at the beginning changed organically as we as we proceeded, you know, yeah. based on the type of information that we were getting in those interviews. Right, and some people would mention a sketch or another person yeah. or some sort of thing, and that would lead us off into a different direction. Yeah, um, I mean, remember you know, Tom Brokaw, not to be confused with the interviewer here, Tom Broker, <laughs> um, you know, notable journalist, Mr. Tom Brokaw. I had the great pleasure of interviewing him personally, which was so much fun. And he brought up this sketch about spider Jones and do you remember that? Yeah. It was like this um some bizarre incident that that was very famous and happened like in the eighties about a world famous skier going down moguls and being and and being shot at on the slopes on this um sketch on Saturday Night Live and he he just thought it was the most outrageous hilarious thing he'd ever seen and he brought that's the sketch that he brought up and we're like what are the odds you know what I mean (laughs) so there was moments that the 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 interview subjects would just volunteer in essence that wasn't a direct question and we're like well that's kind of interesting. But yeah, I think you know. um, like Ad Rock Adam, you know, uh, he mentioned a couple of things in his interview, which yeah. literally went, "Oh my God, right? What about that? And what about that? And what about that?" Yeah. And sort of that led to other yeah. narrative points in yeah. the documentary. Yeah. yeah. Once you had all of this, you know, massive interview footage, uh, and then you started the editing process. What was sort of your take as far as crafting that all together, and then choosing from probably both of you your favorite sketches, the sketches that you thought were most personal to you? You know, it's interesting. It's a twofold answer. One, we didn't have the lu- the luxury of what you've just described as a normal filmmaking process. We finished shooting and now we begin editing. <laughs> nope. <laughs> we were literally shooting simultaneous to editing until like two weeks before completing editing because of the incredible um, sort of psychotic nature of getting some of these interviews secured. So we're managing not only trying to capture really high profile, iconic people who have very busy schedules, but we're also doing it in an extremely abbreviated time frame. And shooting the lion's share of the interviews on Studio 8H, an active studio during the live taping of Saturday Night Live when it's available. So um, if you think about all those variables together, it kind of made like a tricky timing process and just a never-ending puzzle. Yeah. Um, our fellow producer, Sarah Cowperthwaite, who's an amazing talent producer, booked all of those people and made those puzzle pieces fit together. Um, but to your you know, sort of greater uh, question, I think once we finally did get really heavy into editing, it wasn't about what sketches were most personal to us or what moments in the show that we felt, you know, we really wanted to share. It was how do we address the overarching narrative of this film, which is things happening in in the United States, things that took place like quote unquote in real life that that the show is reflecting. And where are there um, examples of that, that the sketches really well reflected it, right? So it was less about, oh, that's my favorite sketch and more about, oh my gosh, that was such an amazing um, parody on a particular political debate. We have to show that and, right. and, and uh, use as a site as an example of yeah. you know, how well Saturday Night Live does right. reflect what's happening in our country. Right, we kept having the, the 
our thesis was so specific yeah. that if it didn't fit in the confines and context of, of the thesis, we couldn't really. How it went? Yeah. So there were a lot of, <laughs> and that's the same way with the interview people. Yep. You know, there were a lot of people we yeah. really wanted to interview and include in the film, and there are a lot of people who are, you know, really important comedians who have been on Saturday Night Live, but they didn't really fit into the narrative of the of the film. So it was yeah. sort of like, oh well, we can't really include that, even though we love that it doesn't really fit into the narrative of what we're doing. And so that I think was the hardest part. Like, you know, our first rough cut was what, three and a half hours long. (laughs) So, you know, there was a lot, even from that first rough cut, which didn't even include like, you know, the bigger people and new footage, you know, and all that sort of stuff. It was much bigger than that, even before we even got to that first rough cut. So then that three and a half hours whittled down to sort of a certain amount of time. And then, you know, at some point, I think we even threw parts of that out and brought in new parts and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it was interesting uh, watching the film how timely Saturday Night Live is in their sketches and mm-hmm. how much they're really like on top of like exactly what's going on mm-hmm. in the moment, right? Mm-hmm. Watching things and even so, uh, sometimes people get false perceptions as it was shown in the film. Like they thought you know Gerald Ford was clumsy, but it was right. really Chevy Chase being yeah. right. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 was doing yeah. an impression of George Bush. And people thought, well, that's really George Bush, but right. they were imitating Dana Carvey. Right. Uh, so, how important was finding moments like that that were really like so significant to culture and so timely? I mean, that you now that's, just asked yeah. the question that is yeah. our film. Like, yeah, you know exactly. what I mean? Like, thank you, thank you for thank you for so eloquently painting our thesis for these uh, listeners. Yeah, that's that's exactly yeah. the question, right? Yeah. And every time we would ask that question, the answer to it would direct, you know, sort yeah. of how the ultimate narrative of the film came together. So that's exactly what we did. I think you can even backwards. see that today. You know, yeah. I mean, there was we could have even included a lot of stuff that was happening at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. You know, but we just didn't have time. You, the ISIS commercial and what was going on, and you know, London with the girls and all that sort of stuff yeah. and the sketch where you know uh keenan couldn't i think keenan or couldn't draw the picture of muhammad you know, <laughs> oh, and all yeah. that sort of stuff you know i mean it's just yeah. there is there are there are these things that people yeah. and that's sort of another just, reason how the film was born was yeah. that there, there are these things that i don't think a lot of people stop to think that there's a you know, cultural aspect to what is going on, you know, and that there's a news aspect to what is going on. They're just watching a sketch comedy show. And then at the end of it, you're like, oh, wait, but that's, Mm -hmm. there's something relevant to what's going on, you know, and you're... No, especially in, uh, I remember the 2008 election, like Saturday Night Live was such a vocal point. Right. You know, people were just... Those yeah. parodies. And yeah. Eventually, yeah. the candidates were so happy to come on and embrace that. <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. Yes. It's interesting yeah. to yeah. see, like. I don't know that they were happy to come on, but I definitely <laughs> think they felt like I, they I, would I, be... I'm not sure Sarah Palin was really happy to come on. She, she volunteered to come on, but. Uh, I, mean, I'll there, I uh, think they thought it was there, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She's a lovely person and all that yeah. sort of stuff, and, you know, I mean, it, it's. Um, you I don't know, think any of the criticisms was that she's not the nicest person. <laughs> right. That wasn't yeah. her necessarily yeah. her, her area of weakness. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was interesting too, like people are so willing to, you know, it was shown in the film to criticize Saturday Night Live if they're not sort of living up to sort of their yeah. standards right. of casting and everything yeah. else. Uh, was that always an element that you guys wanted to include in the film really? that type of criticism yeah I think so and you know again what's nice about Tom and I working as partners is that we have the inside outside perspective right so he has a really different perspective on it having been working you know in the show for 20 years whereas just I come we're kind of like yin and yang in that regard and from my perspective it's like 
I think what we determined, I think collectively we determined this over this past year doing the film, is that I think people's criticisms aren't what they think they are. I think their criticisms aren't of the cast and of what's happening on the show. I think they're actually criticizing what's happening in the country. It's like, if you look at, if you look at the tone and the tenor of the show, it's reflecting what's going on in America at that time. And you know, a lot of people just say, oh, I mean, the 80s, it was just a terrible time. And you know, we, didn't, we didn't spend a lot of time covering the 80s in this film. It's like, that you know was what? when Lauren Michaels was gone, I guess, for right. about five Yeah, years and it's like, you know what? There's just kind of this weird sort of void of activity in our country. That, you know, it, from a serious standpoint, unusually, we were not at war. Right. There was like this window of time where there wasn't anything really happening politically. Like, it was really about shoulder pads and Miami Vice. It's, so it's like, yeah. you know, I think, yeah, it's like very superficial, right. quite yeah. selfish, right. quite uh, focused, focused on the individual. It's like, I think your criticism is actually with what's happening in the world. It's really tricky. Right. How do you get your arms around that to parody it? Like, what are you going to parody? So they just yeah. said, okay, we'll do the other. We'll, we'll just create funny characters and be silly, you know? Right. And that's what they did. And it's like, what else were they going to do? Like, what were they going to make fun of other than Miami Vice and shoulder pads, which they did do a wonderful job of. But you know what I mean? It's like, so I think um, we we came to, to feel that, that if we highlighted the fact that it is just about what's happening in the moment, that that's really what the criticism is. And I think, you know, with the new cast, you can really see that, that they're starting to like, these little stars yeah. are starting to emerge. Like Kate McKinnon busting out the Hillary Clinton uh, impersonation quite literally 48 hours before she announced her run for a presidency, right? Yeah. You know, and I, I thought it was so spot on. And of course, that was the that was the clip that ran right. once Hillary announced. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. You know? Well, and I think, I, I think the criticism of the show will always be people have mm -hmm. a very, very strong attachment to the show. And I think like a sports team, people like to criticize it. People like to be invested in it. People like to sort of, you know, criticize it even though they may not be watching it, but they have opinions about it. And I always say, that, you know, that, that thing, because I walk around the streets and people will say, the show's not funny anymore. And, and I'm like, well, when was the last time you watched it? They're like, well, I haven't watched it in years. And I'm like, well, then what are you comparing the show to? <laughs> the show is evolutionary. It, it keeps changing with its time. And that's the great thing about the yeah. show. And the show is perfectly imperfect. You know, the show can never be perfect. Yeah. The show should never be perfect. The world isn't perfect. Yeah. So we're drawing from all of these great things, and and I and you can't I, land I every com every every piece of comedy isn't going to resonate with every person. I mean, no. you know, they keep talking about there's great reverence paid to the first cast, which we obviously pay homage to in the film as well. But it's like if you look back at those first episodes, there's lots of sketches that just were awful and did not land. You know, right. it's like they're trying things. It's yeah. it's live TV. We're going to throw things at the wall and see what sticks. And one thing's going to be amazing, and there's going to be three that are going to be terrible. Right. That's right. the nature of a live comedy variety show. It's like you can't just nail right. it every right. time. There's and no really such it's thing. It's the only live yeah. Yeah. show out there like yeah. this that is sustained. You know, live television exists yeah. in the early 50s. It dwindled yeah. away. Right. This is one of the last examples. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Even in Living Color and Matt TV, and those weren't live shows. They were mm -hmm. taped live. So there were always opportunities to go back and do other things. Do a little things. editing, do a little yeah. tweaking. Yeah, it's the closest thing <laughs> like yeah. theater. Yeah, yeah. it's the closest thing to theater you can find. I mean, and mm -hmm. when you're sitting in the audience, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. You're watching a theatrical event. For you working on the show so many years and being part of that live experience, is there a thrill every time? that you do the show in a way? There, yeah, I mean, the very first... The very <laughs> is first, the is first, thrill <laughs> too big of a word? No, I mean, yeah, okay, so thrill now, 20 years later, I'm like, oh my God, wait, wait, wake me up. Um, no, but I, I have to remind myself sometimes of that, of the thrill of that, and, and watching the young people sort of be like, oh my God, this is 
this is amazing. This is an amazing opportunity for everyone. And this is, this is still, there's nothing like this. You know, I mean, the first year I was terrified the entire time. 11.35 came and sort of going, oh my God, is everything going to happen? Did we do everything, do everything? And now, you know, I've been there so long, there's a little more of, you know, you crossed your T's, you dotted your I's, it's all going to be great. But the last 15 minutes of the show always are a little chaos. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, because we usually go into the show long in the last 15 minutes. That's why a lot of times if you're watching it at home, you're sort of going, what is happening there? None <laughs> why of is this sketch 11 long. minutes long? <laughs> this sketch is two minutes long. Wait, what is happening? They're not making sense. And because literally they're cutting the thing as they're going along, yeah. the cue card guy is just taping things <laughs> off, of, you know, so they can't read them. And they're like, okay, that's, you yeah. know, and... Mm-hmm. You know, part of my job at that particular moment is making sure that they can make their changes because they're sitting there with a rundown, which is they have to get, what, 15 minutes in the last 10 minutes? And you're going, well, we're going to do this. I'm like, you can't do that. They don't have time to get into those clothes, so you have to do this (laughs) other thing. So there is still the last 15 minutes of the show is always like... Yeah. What I always wondered is how do you get people to change their hair and their makeup and their clothes so quickly from one like I see someone in one sketch and they're yeah. on to the next sketch. I, I have the happen? best the I mean, magic trick. Yeah, it it is a magic <laughs> trick and we have the best people in New York. They're just exceptional. Yeah. yeah Except it's a, every it's, single it's person too. It's like a Navy is, SEAL yeah, team. Yeah. And every single one of them coming in from the outside, and I will dare say this, I will boldly speak on Tom's behalf that I think secretly watching us be so ecstatic about the show made him have more fun working on the show than yeah. before we got there because he remi- we reminded him of how thrilling it actually is. <laughs> like everything was exciting yeah. and new to us. Yeah. But I don't think anything is more fascinating from an outside perspective than Donna, who is the woman who dresses the hosts every, every week. She actually you facilitates those quick film. dresses that you were just speaking of. <laughs> and you'll see like a tiny little star every now and again, like uh, Emma Watson or Reese Witherspoon. And if you're watching at home on television, you can quite literally just see Donna pick them up, just physically pick them up and haul them. She's yeah. like, oh, these tiny little actresses in their high heels, yeah. they can't, they don't have time. I just pick them up and haul them over. She literally one time picked Jennifer Lopez up. She said, get on my back. And so literally she, you know, because her job is to get that person from point A to point B and scream and get them in that room and, and to get them in the room and to make sure the change is happening to make sure all this going and to take it off, lift, lift your leg, change the hat. Now the wig, now the thing. 30 seconds. Okay. 10 seconds. Okay. We're going. And, and then so, like, that's and her job. It. And like literally she knows. And so I have to go. I know that if she can't do a change, yeah. it can't happen. Yeah. That there's if no Donna says the change can't happen, they will change the order of yeah. the sketches. That's how much power she wields on the show. Between the dress rehearsal and live, you know, they determine the order of the sketches and the final rundown. Yeah. And if Donna says that quick change cannot happen, then they'll they'll right. literally change the order. Sometimes, sometimes I'll go, okay, well, let's let's figure it out. Maybe uh-huh. maybe we can figure out how to make yeah. it happen. A debate um, between Donna debate. and Tom. It's like, okay, so if we, <laughs> if we don't change the shoes and we keep the pants on and, you know, <laughs> what if we eliminate the wig? Okay, we can make the change. Okay, great. So, yeah. Even before that uh, dress rehearsal, how much time do you have to prep with the writers and looking over the scripts in terms of finding what you need for that week? Well, kind of a, a bit of a cram sometimes. It's always a cram, you know. I mean, yeah. part of the thing, the schedule is so tight, is that we get scripts Wednesday night. So I start, we start Wednesday night, sort of designing the show, yeah. and then have Thursday and Friday basically to put it all together. And while Thursday and Friday are happening, those digital shorts and all the short pieces are getting filmed. So that's happening Thursday morning, Thursday night, 
Friday morning, Friday night. A lot of times the past year, the Saturday host, morning. Exactly. The host has been at midnight going off to do a shoot until six in the morning wow. to shoot those digital shorts um, somewhere in Manhattan. the boroughs of Manhattan or, or Queens or Brooklyn. And so six o'clock comes around and they're like, okay, the host has to leave now. Um, so sometimes the host will be like, I'm out of here at four. I can't, I can't handle it anymore. But, um, but for the most part, they keep shooting until 6am and then, you know, the host goes to sleep for a few hours if they're lucky. (laughs) And then they come in at 1230 and we start a rehearsal. It's just incredible how much work gets done in such a compact period. Well, that's the, I think that's the thing that, um, you know, they learned as outsiders too, is, is each, each department has a very different experience that week. Um, and each department is on their own little journey that particular week. Like I might be having a great week with Mm -hmm. one host, whereas the writers are having a horrible week with that host and the hair people are having a great time with the host. And, you know, I mean, so everyone's experience is all dependent upon that host, but at the same time, everyone's doing their own thing. It's only until... On a parallel path. Yeah. It's like they're all on these parallel trains, and then Saturday mid-afternoon, they land in Grand Central. And it's like, okay. No. Yeah. It's like... <laughs> what have you guys exactly, been doing over exactly. there? Like, literally, yeah. you're going, oh, oh. And you're like, oh, that, okay. that's not the wig that I had in mind for this costume. That's a, these don't go together at yeah, all. Yeah. And then, you oh know. God, how'd that happen? The wall is green. Everyone's <laughs> in green. Wait, why did... Like, no, they had to paint the wall. You know, like, so there are certain times when that happens, but yeah. I was wondering if each of you have a particular moment in the film that you're the most proud of that you thought really came together uh, even greater than your expectations when uh, you were assembling it. You know, I, I, uh, for me, one of the things that always, as soon as we came up with the thesis behind this film that I always knew I wanted to include and I think was one of the only topics that was unanimous among our entire filmmaking team was the segment on 9-11. Um, and to me personally, I feel the most proud of that segment because much like the show, is a show that's been just so heavily documented with other projects. So has the tragedy of 9-11, right? There's been, you know, just endless coverage on that, trying to get our arms around what it means. So I think to to look at it the way that we approached it, to have just the right tone, just the right balance, to be respectful and, you know, deferential to the the severity of the tragedy and what it meant to our country, but also the fact that that we're talking about how did a comedy show respond to it and how did that sort of culturally impact us. I really liked how it ended up, and I, I feel really proud about that. I, and I feel like a lot of um, people that I've talked to that are New Yorkers that went through 9-11 personally and you know, were there, and it still sort of you know, brings up pretty significant emotions. It's, I've seen this film, as you can imagine, a few times, and every time I see it, I still get goosebumps. It kind of just, it's just, it works. Mm-hmm. And it, so I feel really good about that. That's something. And I think everybody remembers. remembers where they were when that exactly. happened. Exactly. Yeah. It was a personal experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, for yourself. Well, well I would have to say there, there's sort of two moments. That That's clearly mm-hmm. the first one. I mean, I think that mm-hmm. moment is when you see those four quadrants and then those four quadrants go black and it's like, oh dear God. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wow. Okay. I, I, yeah. It turned out much more powerful than I had ever imagined. Um, and the, the other moment I would say is that last moment of Lauren, the back of his head, um, sort of looking, sort of looking up there, seeing what it's like and hearing that music. Um, I think it's a really it's, good moment. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, the film opens June 12th in LA, New York. Is that 
Uh, no, actually, it's opening much wider than that. Okay. For a documentary, we got ourselves yeah. a pretty yeah. big, a pretty big life. Uh, it opens on June twelfth, um, in about fourteen cities to start, and it actually ramps up all the way to forty cities um, across the country um, by the time it's at its peak. And in addition to that, um, filmgoers can, if they go on our website, which is live from New York movie, they can see the listings. But if it's not there, they can actually request it to their city, oh, and they awesome. can host it in their city, which is pretty cool. So. Hey, all of you guys out in Poughkeepsie, if you want to see it, exactly. all you have to do is go on the website, put in your zip code and request to host it. And if you uh, sort of are, act as an ambassador and, and fill up the theater, you, you can have one come oh, to your so town. So they can link up with a theater in their town and then... Well, there's a service called TUG, T-U-G-G, that we partnered with. Okay. And basically what they do is they pair um, like-minded folks together who are in the same geography. So if you say, I want to bring it to my city and there's someone else, they say, hey, both of you guys want to do it. Just send it out to your social media and your friends wow. and family. And if you get you know, basically X number of people in a seat, we'll bring it to that theater and then we'll sell it to the public. So right. yeah, it's just kind of a fun, yeah. um, we thought that Saturday Night Live fans, there's such a broad fan base um, of this subject matter before obviously our documentary came along that we thought it would be a nice opportunity to, to, to spread it spread it farther than just the traditional sort of big cities. Yeah. And also in 40 years time, this is the first time ever that anybody has the opportunity to go and experience Saturday Night Live in a theater. It's never been done, so it's always been television specials and, and retrospectives. So, I think that's kind of fun. I mean, I think you know, hopefully you experienced it when you saw the yeah. no, premiere. Never, you know, you used to watching it like alone or with a yeah, exactly with an audience, and everybody's laughing at the same jokes that you've appreciated right? over the years. Yeah, it's kind of it's almost like empowering. Like, yeah, that is yeah. funny. I don't know. There's something I, we've been <laughs> sitting and we've been doing the film festival circuit, and uh, you guys were at Tribeca. Uh, we were opening night of Tribeca yeah. Film Festival. Twenty five hundred people in the Beacon wow. Theater. And followed by a live ludicrous performance, no doubt, no less. Um, it was a special night. But I, I tell you, that place, there was chunks of the movie that were missing because the right. laughter was so loud and so prolonged that they missed like a whole chunk of, of content right after it. It was wonderful. I mean, it was so much fun. And I think every city we've been in has a different, they laugh yeah. at different things. And, you know, we, we were at Hot Docs up in Toronto. And my God, do those Torontonians love Lorne Michaels. So there, there was... Hello, Canadians. Correct. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, it was, it's been fun, but I think, you know, for filmgoers who are interested in the subject matter, there's really nothing quite like seeing it in the theater. It's a really different experience, and I almost like to think that it's like it harkens back to the original time of the show when people used to sit around the TV and watch it together in their homes. It's like that spirit again, yeah. you know, of a, a well, point it's, it's, television. It, it, well, exactly, as, uh, as Candace Bergen said, said, it's a bit TV. Yeah. You know, you had to be you home know. at that time. If <laughs> you wanted to watch it, you had to be home. There wasn't a TiVo or a DVR or any yeah. of those sort or of YouTube. things. YouTube or any of those things that could record it. And so, you know, that's a great sort of thing. But yeah. it, is, it harkens back to really an event yeah. and wanting to make this thing an event.